When we look at this text, it's unnerving. We see horrible judgments that will be visited upon the earth because of the sinfulness of man. And as we've pointed out in previous studies, these judgments come from a long-suffering God who has long allowed the wickedness of man to continue. But in the book of Revelation, this is God's justice finally coming to terms with man's wickedness. And so all of the judgments that we see, terrible as they are, are judgments that have been earned by man's behavior. And it is God demonstrating that He is holy and that He will not tolerate sin. He will not allow sin to continue. So coming to the eighth chapter, we have seen six seals brought uh, by God upon man, judgments that were terrible. There's a break in the seventh chapter as God seals some who will survive and as God speaks of the martyrs, those who have been killed because of their faith during this time of testing, this time of tribulation. So as we pick it up in the eighth chapter, we're coming to what is called actually the seventh seal. And what we're going to see is this. In the Scripture, the seals, and remember what was pictured was a scroll, and that scroll had seven wax seals upon it, and as each seal was broken, a different judgment would come. Six of them have been broken to this point, and as we come to this eighth chapter, it's time for number seven. But as we'll see, the seventh seal brings all kinds of other judgments as well. So what we're going to see first is this, the seal of trumpets and bowls. You see, what we find as we look at these judgments of God as they're unleashed on the world is that there are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And the seventh seal opens the way for these trumpets and bowls, and we'll explain what that means. But perhaps this chart will help us understand visually what I'm talking about. When we look at the seven seals, what we find is the seventh seal opens the way for seven trumpet judgments. And then what we find is the seventh trumpet judgment actually opens the way for seven bowls that are God's wrath being poured out on the earth. So that seventh seal is significant because it opens the way for all of these other judgments that are coming. It's important for us to understand that. Now, as we look at this first verse, look at what is described for us by John. It says this, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, I think this is significant because this moment of silence communicates something really bad is about to happen. When we know that something terrible is coming, sometimes all we do is pause and reflect on what has happened and what is about to happen. And that's what we picture in heaven when this seventh seal is about to be opened because of the terrible things that it's going to bring upon the earth. That's what God is warning us about with this statement as this 
seal, this seventh one being opened, will lead to these trumpets and to these bowls. So let's look at these trumpets as they're being announced. It says in verse 2 through 5 that there are saints' prayers and a golden censer that go up to God just prior to these trumpets announcing the judgments of God. So let's look at this in the second verse. It says, Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now, when we find this word trumpet, often what we think of is the musical instrument, right? We think of something that has three keys, and when played properly, can be quite beautiful. I took trumpet when I was in grade school, and I did not play it beautifully. Um, as a matter of fact, I did one special music uh, selection for our church. And this will burn in my memory. I played the old rugged cross. And I was going along fine, and then I hit one of those notes. And I could see a congregational cringe, and that stuck with me to this day. But that's not the kind of trumpet that we're talking about in this passage. The type of trumpet that's being described here is a particular Greek word that speaks of a trumpet that is used to announce something. It was a trumpet that would be used by the Roman soldiers to direct them on the field of battle. Or it was a trumpet that would be used to announce uh, an important announcement civically. It was something that would announce the presence of a king and something that he was about to give in the way of uh, an edict or a decree. So these trumpets were something that the people of John's day would have been very familiar with as far as something that announces something important is about to come. So here's the scene in heaven. There are seven angels that are given these seven trumpets that are going to announce the coming judgments that are going to be brought upon the earth. And then the second verse, after talking about these trumpets, goes on into the third verse, and it says this, And another angel came and stood at the altar of a golden, with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So here's the picture. You have the throne room of God, and before the throne of God is an altar, and before this altar is an angel. And this angel has what is called a censer. Now, if you're not familiar with what a censer is, it's like a, a, a bowl that carries hot coals, and often it would have uh, strings or chains or something that would hold it. And in the Old Testament, the priest was often uh, part of the priestly um, accoutrement in carrying out the worship that would take place in the temple. As a matter of fact, Unger's Bible Dictionary, by the way, if you don't have a good Bible Dictionary, really encourage you to get a good one. And Unger's, uh, especially the new Unger's, is a very good Bible Dictionary. So listen to how he describes this. It's a vessel upon which the incense was burned in the sanctuary. Now here he's talking about the earthly temple. And what he went on to say is, it, it was appointed to set every morning on the altar of incense, when the priest went into him and the lamps uh, would be lit, he would carry this every evening. Yearly, on the Day of Atonement, the priest entered the Holy of Holies, bearing the censer, and threw upon the burning coals incense, 
holding the censer in his hand while the incense burns. So you get the picture. There's a bowl. Uh, the priest is carrying it, probably with chains, and incense were placed upon this censer. And if you've ever burned incense, you know that there is some smoke associated with it, and with the smoke, uh, a fragrance. The incense have a, a beautiful smell. Now, what's the significance of it? In the Old Testament, it often represented our worship and our prayers that go up to God. What happens to smoke? Smoke rises. And so this was imagery of what happens when we pray. The worship and prayer that we do actually goes to God. This was a visual reminder to the people that that's what's happening with our prayer as we worship God. But here, this isn't the earthly temple. This is heaven. And the angel is taking this censer, and he's coming before the throne of God. And notice what the text says, it was accompanied by the prayer of the saints. Now, this is like the third time in the book of Revelation that it's mentioned that the prayers of the saints go up to God. In the fifth chapter, we saw that the prayers of the saints were going up to God as they faced martyrdom and as they faced judgment from man, not from God. In the sixth chapter, we saw prayer coming up to God once again. And now, here in the eighth chapter, we see this prayer that is going up to God, accompanied with these incense. But look at what happens. In the fifth verse, it says, The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. And look at what he does. He throws it to earth, and there are peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now, we all know that before a storm comes, we will see off in the distance flashes of lightning, thunder, and some of that thunder makes the earth actually quake and shiver. And what do we know that means? Head for the hills, a really bad storm is coming. I'd better hide, I'd better take cover, right? That's the imagery of what's going on here. As this angel hurls this censer to earth, earth responds by preparing for these terrible judgments that are going to come with these seven trumpets. And as we look into the Word of God, we see those terrible judgments outlined for us. When we come to the next part of the passage, verse 7, we find that the Word of God shares with us that the earth will be stricken with hail, with fire mixed with blood. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. So, what we're going to see are some terrible judgments that will come upon the earth that are in rapid succession. And when we come to verse 7, we find this first trumpet that is blown. And this is what it says. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the grass was burned up. Now, before we get into these trumpets, let me make an observation. Very often when we see these judgments that are described in the book of Revelation, we forget 
that John is describing these in terms of what a first, men, first century man would have seen and understood, and he's using the best language possible to express a terrible thing that is taking place. This is what John is doing, but sometimes we're tempted to jump in and say, oh, this must be some naturalistic explanation. We'll attribute the blood to rain that comes through an atmosphere loaded with iron that's in the air, and it comes down red-looking. We don't know exactly what is being described in this text. I mean, this could be a judgment from God where in order to show man his wickedness, it's actual blood that's coming down. We don't know. And it's important that we're careful not to always try to give some naturalistic explanation to the supernatural things that God is doing. What we do know is this, that there is going to be hail and fire. We saw this as a judgment during the time of Pharaoh when God was judging Egypt. So here we're seeing a similar judgment that's brought upon the earth. And what it's going to say to man is, you have been wicked, you have been sinful, and God is bringing this devastating judgment upon the earth because of that wickedness. God is serious about sin. That's what this demonstrates. Something else, think of the fire. What is described here are trees and buildings and grass being consumed by fire. Now, we've all seen the aftermath of fire on the news, right? Just this past year, we saw what it did to California. And seeing those images on television, it was overwhelming when you saw the vineyards and the trees and the buildings and the grasslands destroyed by that raging fire that really went throughout California and, and places of California. Um, a devastation. And people would see it coming and there was nothing they could do. All they could do was flee. Well, imagine that kind of fire on a global scale. That's what the Word of God is describing in this passage. When the judgment of God comes upon man for his sin, that sin is going to be on a global scale. There's no escaping it. It comes and it rains down fire and it's mixed with blood and all of the people look and they know that God is doing something. I think they're going to be hard-pressed to give a naturalistic explanation because I think God is making it demonstrably true that what he says in his word recorded is now coming to fruition. They're going to see the very word of God played out, lived out right before them. Something else that we see. As we look into this text, it goes on to the second trumpet. And in verses 8 through 9, look at what the Word of God describes for us as far as these judgments that will come upon mankind. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now again, 
We don't know. He's saying something like a great mountain. So this is a large object that falls into the sea. We don't know what that is. Some people have guessed, well, it's maybe a meteor. Others have guessed, like with Mount St. Helens when there was a volcano and half of the mountain went um, sliding away from the mountain into the forest, um, something like that. We don't know. Or it may not be a naturalistic explanation at all. It may just be God judging the ocean. And what happens is this, a third of the sea became blood. Now this is, again, very much like a judgment that God brought upon Egypt when He turned the Nile to blood. There were people who tried to give a natural explanation as to why this took place, but I believe it was a judgment of God. It was supernatural. And the bottom line, the water of the Nile became poison rather than drinkable. What happens here, as you can imagine, if there is a large object like a mountain that comes into the sea, we've seen tsunamis that are caused by an earthquake. Imagine something like a meteor strike or a large mountain going into the sea. Imagine the tsunami that would be caused by that. It would wipe out navies, the shipping industry, the coastal regions. All of that would be leveled. The fish, death, destruction. That's the picture of what we have with the second trumpet. And if any of you paid attention to the news this past year, the red tide that took place in Florida after the death of that red tide and the sea life that died as a result of it, the stench that took place because of that was unbearable. Many of the Florida residents, rather than people going to Florida, people in Florida were leaving because of the stench. This is going to be a judgment that is going to be horrible upon the earth. And it's described as something that is destructive and causes death, something else. When we come to verses 10 through 11, we find that a star falls to earth, ruining the fresh water. Look at this passage, verses 10 through 11. The third angel blew his trumpet... And a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. So not only do you have salt water corrupted with the boats, but now you have fresh water corrupted. And again, when you read a dozen different commentaries, you get a dozen different ideas about what this star could be. The ones that made the most sense to me were the ones that said that this was an angelic being who was poisoning the water as a divine judgment upon, God, uh, upon the people by God. And, and notice the 11th verse. The star is even given a name. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now, Wormwood 
doesn't make much sense to us when we think of it. We think of wood that has lots of wormholes in it. That's not the idea of wormwood in the ancient Near East. There's actually a little plant that grows in the desert, and it's called wormwood. It's an extremely bitter plant, and to many people, it's poison. If you have wormwood in your water in the desert, the water's no good. You can't drink it. So this is what's being communicated here as a judgment from God. Uh, the water systems of the world will be tainted by whatever this star falling from heaven actually is. Again, it could be a meteor that stirs up dirt and dust, and we've all seen what happens to fresh water when terrible dust and all of the things from, from a, a, a thing like a volcano or, or anything of that nature hits the, the earth. The, the, the dust makes water bitter and muddy and, and not drinkable. We don't know. But what we do know is this is a judgment from God. And it's very much like an Old Testament judgment that Jeremiah talks about. He said this, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food. Now, that word in the original Hebrew is actually wormwood. And it goes on to say, And give them poisonous water to drink. It's speaking of God's judgment. And it's speaking of this judgment that will come upon the earth. Well, we've seen three judgments in rapid succession. But then we come to the fourth. And when we come to the fourth, what we see is the sun, moon, stars are darkened. Again, there could be naturalistic explanations for this. If you have a meteor that strikes and it stirs up dust and it poisons the water, what's it going to do to the atmosphere? There are going to be particles in the atmosphere. And what happens when you look up at the stars and the sun through the filter of all of that debris? They're darkened. Or... Again, this could be a supernatural judgment that God brings upon the earth. When we come to the 12th and 13th verses, it says this, The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. You know, this makes me think of how this judgment really fits the sinful attitude of man. When we look in the Gospel of John, it says that men prefer darkness to light. And so here is God giving them what they preferred, darkness to light. But as they look and as they see the sun obscured in whatever way that it's obscured, and as they see the heavens, the stars, the moon, all of it diminished, it's going to be a reminder to them that they are under the judgment of God. But then, look at the 13th verse. There's a break between the fourth and fifth judgments, but this isn't a good break. Look at what it says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And when we look at this, normally we don't hear eagles talk. Again, understand this is imagery that he's using. We don't know exactly what this represents, and I'm not going to hazard a guess. But what I do know is this. There are three trumpets left, and there are three words used to describe those last three trumpets, and that word is woe. And by the way, we don't use the word woe very much in our culture. 
The term woe, as it's used here, is extreme angst and grief. It's a response to the terrible things that are being visited upon the earth. But more than that, it's a response to what's coming. This is a warning to mankind that is saying, you have been through six seals, you're now in the seventh seal, and you've been through four trumpets, and if you think it's bad now, just wait. That's really what's being communicated. It's not a message of hope. It's a message of woe. It's a description of an emotional response to the terrible things that are coming. And then we come to the ninth chapter. And in chapter 9, we're just going to look at the first few verses of chapter 9, but we see the fifth trumpet. And notice what the Scripture describes for us in verses 1 through 6. And the angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft, and then the smoke And from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. For they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone, and in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Kind of understand why there was that preparation by the eagle or angel or whatever it was that was up in the air making the announcement, whoa, 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 this is the first woe, and it's a big one. Look at how it's described in this text. There is a pit that an angel is sent to open, and out of this pit comes smoke and locusts. Now, we're going to pause here for a moment, and we're going to talk about what's going on here. I believe this is a spiritual judgment on the earth, and what it is doing is it's not sending bugs into the world, the locusts. There's a reoccurring word that we find in this, and that word is like. And it's like not someone just talking like this, you know. I mean, it's a descriptive word, not a filler word. And this descriptive word is sharing with us from John's vantage point what it looks like. But when we look at the spiritual dynamics of what's going on, I don't think that it's a plague of insects, especially when we'll look at how they're described a little bit later in this text. I think that it's the opening up of the pit, a place where demons are held, and now they're unleashed. They can do their demonic torture on the earth. Folks, we need to understand this. There are things that are unseen that definitely defy 
what we can see and smell and taste and touch. There is a spiritual warfare that takes place in our world. But God holds the demons in check. Here, demons that have been consigned to an area that is called the abyss or the pit are finally unleashed on the world. And as they're unleashed on the world, they torment the world. It's described as a scorpion sting. Now, I've never been stung by a scorpion, thankfully. But the sting, if it's like a hornet sting or a bee sting, is painful. You can't ignore it. We don't know whether this is talking about spiritual or physical or both as far as what these demons are going to unleash on man. But what we do know is there are limitations that are placed on them. And these limitations mean that they cannot touch those who have been sealed by God as His own. And they can only torment for five months. There's a duration in which they will inflict their torment upon man. Now this to me is one of the scariest of all of the judgments. Peter described the abyss in this way, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now, the judgment that he's talking about there is the great white throne judgment. But there is this place where angels are held, these fallen angels that rebelled against God and that are in league with Satan. And that's what is being described for us here in this text. And listen, if this makes your flesh crawl, it does mine too. You see, it's bad enough to have all of the physical judgments that are brought upon you. But man, to face this spiritual judgment of the torment of demons coming to you and tormenting you, and stopping just short of death. It's frightening. This is a part of this trumpet, this fifth trumpet. But then the text goes on, and it describes these beings that are sent to torment mankind by an angel who is called the destroyer. So look at verse 7. In the appearance, now note the words here, the appearance. This is what they look like to John. The locusts were like horses preparing for battle. On their heads were what looked like golden crowns, and their faces were like human faces, and their hair was like a human's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth. Now all of this, remember, is using appearance It's describing what John saw in his vision. And let me tell you something. I've heard people try to assign values to all of these descriptions, and wow, it's really creative. But I'm just going to be honest with you and say, I have no idea what this means. I know John is describing what it looks like. I know that it's bad. I know that it's bringing terrible judgment upon the earth. But this description is something that's, that's hideous. And it's not like the locusts that were used in the Old Testament as judgment as we would read the prophets and God would send 
a bunch of locusts into an area that would strip it of all of its trees and all of its vegetation, a terrible plague that would be brought upon man because look at what the text goes on to describe about this judgment that's coming upon the earth. It says that they had like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle, verse 10, and they have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months in their tails. Again, I don't know whether they're doing actual physical stings or whether this is just a terrible judgment that will be brought upon the earth to torment the people of the earth. But here's what we do know. Look at verse 11. They serve as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. Now, what the ESV calls the bottomless pit in the original Greek is actually the word that we get our word abyss from. It's letter for letter from the original Greek. When we talk about an abyss, this is the word that's used here. And what it's saying to us is this, there was one who was in charge of the bottomless pit. See, something we need to understand within the hierarchy of angels, there are commanding angels and other angels that are subordinate to the commanding angels. This is true of God's angels, but it's also true of Satan's angels. And what's being described here is an angel that rules under Satan over the demons, fallen angels that are in the bottomless pit. And what it's telling us in this text is rather stark. This demon that allows these angels to come forth as a judgment from God, by the way, has a name. And when we look in the text at his name, it becomes clear why he's named this. Verse 11, the king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and his name is called Apollyon. Now, whether it's Hebrew or whether it's Greek, the name means the same thing in English, and that's destroyer. So, when we look at this, this spiritual unleashing of these demons on the world. You know, there's plenty of demonic activity in our world today, but this is no holds barred demonic activity. If we think it's bad today, when this trumpet is sounded, it would be many times worse than what it is today. You go into certain regions where spiritism and voodoo are practiced and you hear the stories from missionaries of what they've encountered when they've had to deal with demonic activity in this world. And it's, it's amazing. Some people say, well, why isn't it as prominent in the United States? Well, listen, we're secular in the United States. If demons start to show themselves in power and in charge in the United States, what's going to happen? People start believing in spiritual things, so it serves Satan's purpose better to keep things secular in our world, kind of down low, undercover. But in other nations, it makes more sense to intimidate and to come on hard and strong so that they can keep, keep, keep people crushed uh, un, under their demonic influence. What we'll see in this seal 
is the opening of the way for more demons to come into the world and to inflict terrible judgment on man. Now, we're going to pause after this seal, and we'll pick it up next time, or this trumpet, and we'll pick it up next time with the two concluding trumpets. But let me just say this to you. All of this judgment from God, when we read it, and, and, and we're confused by it, and we're wondering exactly what it's going to be, the one thing that we walk away with is it is not going to be good. This is going to be terrible. This is going to be the kind of judgments and disasters and horror that you, you see in movies, and you take solace in the idea that whew, that was only a movie. This is going to be real life, and it's because of the sin of man and the rejection of God, and God finally visiting upon the earth the wrath that the earth deserves for having spurned God and promoting wickedness. But here's the hope. I believe the Scripture teaches that for the child of God, those who have placed their personal faith in Jesus Christ, none of these terrible plagues will be a part of our experience. I believe that we will be raptured, taken from the scene, but there will be people on earth who did not come to faith, and they will face these terrible judgments. The reason I share that is this. If you've never come to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you don't have to go through these things either. You can trust Christ as your Savior. And if this comes during our lifetime, and I believe that is always a possibility, the Scripture speaks of the eminent, the close return of Jesus Christ then you can know that you'll be delivered from these things by the power of God, by the promise of God. It's called the blessed hope for us as believers. But for a world that rejects Jesus Christ, there is judgment, both temporal as described in the book of Revelation, but then eternal in what's described at the end of the book of Revelation, the lake of fire. We have an important message to carry to a lost world, a message of hope, a message that through a personal faith in Jesus Christ, you need not fear the wrath of God. So my encouragement to you is, if you are a believer, recognize family, friends, anyone has the potential of experiencing these things and share the gospel. If you have never Come to the place to where you have put your personal faith in Jesus Christ. Trust Him as your Savior. He has made the way for you to escape the wrath of God and to experience right relationship with Him. This choice is simple, but there are long-ranging consequences. And listen, I don't share this to intimidate or to bully or to do any of the things that are described when someone talks about consequences nowadays. I share this because the living Word of God warns us about these things. 
And if we refuse to warn somebody when danger is lurking, we're wicked. We're evil. We need to be about the business of sharing God's truth to a lost world that desperately needs to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for these hard passages that as we read them, we're overwhelmed. They're frightening. But God, we also know that with these texts, uh, there is hope. Just prior to all of these judgments was mentioned those who stand before the throne, who come to faith during this time of testing. Myriads upon myriads of them standing before the throne, worshiping you because they came to faith in Jesus Christ. God, my prayer is that every person in this room will know what it is to have a personal relationship with you through Jesus. Let us not be negligent in sharing the gospel. Let us consider the importance of the message and what people can be delivered from if they only turn to you in faith. And may we be faithful to share that with courage and with conviction. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.